Well, welcome to H2O on this Father's Day, and uh, we thought we'd have a little bit of fun with that on Father's Day. Uh, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'm Brian Wiles, one of the pastors here. I am a, a dad myself, and all I have to say is, you know, once you hit, especially like a middle-aged dad, it is involuntary to tell jokes like that. Like, you can't control it, okay? If, if there's dads in the room, you can agree with me, okay? So you got to give us some grace on this Father's Day as we're starting off, uh, because those dad jokes, they just, they just kind of flow out of us. There's nothing you can do about it. But it, it's, it's such a, a fun day to think about Father's Day on, on so many different levels. And uh, I, I myself, if you don't know me, I, I'm a dad. I have three kids. I have a 10-year-old Allison, an 8-year-old Sam, and a 5-year-old Isaac, and uh, get the order right there, and as I think about, you know, coming up and sharing on Father's Day, it's uh, being a father, if you you are one, obviously all of us have had a dad, at least on some level or another, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, but being a father, it's one of those things that there's like these just kind of crazy ranges of emotions, and I don't know about you, but for myself, I feel like there's some days where I, I look at it, and I'm like, man, I'm like the best dad in the world. I should be writing books on this. You know, people, I should be giving seminars. People should be coming to me, get advice. And then there's other days where I'm like, I have no clue what in the world I'm doing. I don't know how my kids are even going to make it to the age of 18. You know, I need to go to those seminars. I need to read those books, you know. And and I was thinking about this experience I had uh, not too long ago uh, that that just in a a matter of a few minutes, it kind of showed that range of emotions. We were out on vacation in Colorado. And um, it was about three years ago, so my, my kids were a little bit younger. And Isaac, my youngest, was two years old. And uh, my wife wanted to get away and get some time to herself. I'm like, yeah, I'll take my kids to uh, a coffee shop, and we're going to go and hang out. So we went to this coffee shop out in Colorado. And uh, this coffee shop, it's awesome. It's amazing. It's in Estes Park where we do our leadership training. And um, it's right on the edge of, like, this big lake. And so we go. We get some coffee. I buy my kids snacks. And, uh, and then we're going to go out and feed the ducks at the pond. And so as we start off this, this moment, this experience, I'm kind of at that, that mountaintop where I'm like, yes, I'm the dad of the year. I'm getting some quality time with my kids. I'm taking them, you know, to feed the ducks. And, and everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. So, so we're standing there. And we happen to see some friends that we know that were out there with the leadership training program. And so our kids were standing here. But, but my friend, he was kind of on the other side of the pond. And so I'm like, uh, hey, kids, you stay right here and feed the ducks. I'm going to go over and talk to my friend. That wasn't the best idea. My son, Isaac, was two years old, and as I was walking away, I jokingly said to one of the other kids there, I said, hey, if Isaac falls in the pond, I'm not going to be able to save him, so it's on you to save him, okay? And so, a little foreshadowing there. So, I walk, you know, 50 yards away from my kids, bad dad moment, bad dad moment, you only, you know, a two-year-old, don't leave him by a pond that far away. I walk away, I'm talking, all of a sudden we hear yelling and screaming and we see kids diving into the pond. My two-year-old had fallen into the pond and one of the other kids literally reached down in and saved him. Like it was a drop-off, I didn't realize how, how crazy it was. So I pull my, my son, you know, my two-year-old son up and as soon as, you know, I grab him and I'm like, thank you, you saved my kid's life, that should have been my job. I'm feeling horrible now about being a dad you know I'm like that was stupid I was actually a little bit shaken up because it was really not smart you know so I get my son and I happen to have a change of clothes in the van we go out and and I change him and I'm like holding him I'm like he's still crying of course he's freaking out you know he's two years old and he just fell in a pond and uh and so I'm like it's okay buddy daddy's not gonna leave you I will not do that I'm sorry I'm like apologizing to my son probably just so I can hear myself say it out loud and uh and so we go back down to the pond my son's 
it's real tentative. He's not sure what, you know, if he even wants to go close to pond. I'm like, no, you got to get over this fear. Ponds aren't bad. So I'm like, but I'm going to stay right beside you, okay? So I'm holding his hand. I'm right beside him. We get down right next to the water. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm not going to let you go. Don't worry. There's nothing to be afraid of. Everything's fine. And uh, we have some, some um, corn that we're throwing into the ducks. And I take my hand off of his hand to get some corn. And this little girl comes running in from behind. She's like, can I have some corn? And she's running down the, 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 it's a little bit of an embankment. And I'm like, yeah, you can. And she runs into my son and it nails him into the pond again. <laughs> and now he's just lost it, you know. He's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm terrible. Why did I ever bring my kids here? They're not even going to make it home. And uh, as I thought of that experience, I was like, that kind of describes fatherhood a little bit for me. There's moments where you're just so excited and love it, and there's moments where you can't keep your kid out of a pond, you know? You can't even make it five minutes without, like, having them have a near-death experience. And, uh, and, and as, I, as I share that here on Father's Day, you know, I, I think about this day, and I think there's probably a wide range of emotions, even for many of us in this room, as we think about Father's Day here today. You know, some of us, it's a fun day. Maybe we had a great experience with our father. We love him. Maybe your dad's even here today. It's awesome. I know there's some families that are visiting. That is so great. And it's so cool to be able to celebrate a Father's Day like that. And if we're honest, you know, others of us, it's a little bit of a harder day. It might even be a, a little bit of a sad day. Some of us, uh, our, our father has actually passed away. Some of us, he's not physically present with us anymore. And so maybe we have great memories, but he's not here with us. And so maybe it's a little bit hard Maybe others of us, you know, the relationship that we have with our dad is not exactly what we want it to be, if we're real honest. And, and, and maybe he was absent in some way. Maybe he wasn't the dad that you wanted him to be in some way. Even worse for some of us, for a handful of us in this room, it was even worse than just an absent dad. Some of us have actually had horrible examples of what a father is supposed to be like. Maybe your dad was abusive. Maybe he hurt you in some way. And if that's you here today, I, I do want to say that we are sorry. We're sorry that, the, that that's the experience that you have because I can tell you for sure that that was not God's design for your life. You see, God designed fathers to be somebody who is safe, who is loving, who is trusting. And we're going to discover that together today. But no matter where you are, you know, kind of no matter what type of emotions this, this holiday kind of invokes in you as you're here today, uh, we want to say that I believe that today we're all hopefully going to leave with a little bit of hope, a little bit of peace, a little bit of joy for understanding what true fatherhood is all about. I know it's interesting on, on this Father's Day um, as we come here because some have actually said that, that the role of a father and even the role of a man, it's kind of under attack within our society because of, maybe because of so many of the bad examples that we've seen. Uh, there, there's a well-known feminist leader who said this. She said, fathers are a biological necessity but a psychological absurdity. You know, and that's somebody who's been hurt, honestly, deep down um, from an experience that she's had. But she said, fathers, of course you need a male, you know, to make another human being. Fathers, they're a biological necessity, but psychologically, it's kind of absurd to think that a dad has any value in our society or in our world. You know, and, and as you think about that, 
I can say, honestly, there's times where I don't blame people who may be hostile towards men or specifically towards fathers. Because if you look at the state of where fatherhood is, where many guys are, uh, it's a pretty sad place sometimes. And being in ministry, I've heard many stories from many of you. And, and, I, think, and I think that's not how it was supposed to be. That's not what God designed it to look like. But nonetheless, even though many times, you know, us as dads, we've dropped the ball, I don't think that that gives us a a permission or an excuse to kind of wipe away what God's original design and what God's original plan for fatherhood should look like. So I think it's actually a good thing today that we're here and we're celebrating fatherhood no matter what experience you've had. So I want to ask you to kind of tap into that a little bit, no matter where you're at, no matter what experience you've had, because here's the reality. God has given fatherhood a special role in the family. God has given fathers a special role in our world. And if you're a dad here today specifically, I just want to talk to you for one minute. And if you're a male in general, you might want to listen to this because maybe someday you'll be a dad. And for all of us, this is important information no matter uh, what you identify as here today. Think about this. God, in the Bible, uses the same word, dad, Father. Even in one place in the Bible, he he calls himself daddy. God calls himself daddy. God uses the same word to describe what I do as a father, what all of us as fathers should do to describe how he wants to interact with every single one of us. Think about how massive of a statement that is. God uses the same word interchangeably, dad, father, daddy, for us and for him. He says, hey, the same thing that that you call that guy who brought you into the world, you can call me that same name. And if you think about that, that should humble us a little bit, shouldn't it? That should bear a little bit of weight as we grasp the magnitude of sharing a name with the God of the universe. I mean, none of us would ever train our kids to call us God, would we? You know, it's not like I say, Sam, Allison, Isaac, hey, I want you to come down in the morning and say, hey, God, can I have something for breakfast? That would be like blasphemous, right? None of us would ever say that, would we, to our kids? But God actually does that for us. He says, we're going to share a name, Father, Daddy, interchangeably. And so for all of us, whether we're young, whether we're old, no matter what you think about God, no matter what you think about fatherhood, this was God's design for the family. This was God's design for us to connect with him. And so as fathers, as men, we have a massive responsibility, a massive responsibility and a massive privilege I don't want that responsibility to scare us, but I want it to humble us so that we move towards God. And of course, just so you know, uh, if you're a woman here and you're thinking, is this even going to apply to me today? Absolutely. Of course, everything in the Bible applies to all of us. And and I think that there's so many roles and so many distinctions that God has, has given us. As guys, we need to take that role seriously. As women, we need to figure out how can we encourage and spur on and push the, the men or the fathers in our life to be the, the, the men and the fathers that God wants them to be and even as women maybe if you're here and you're single and you haven't you know picked out a guy yet as you listen to some of these thoughts about father's day you might want to kind of consider do what type of man do i want to marry what type of man do eventually i want to be the father of my children because he actually is going to represent god to my 
children. So I think today, everything that we're going to talk about will apply to all of us. And if you've been with us this summer, we've been in this series that we're calling Unfiltered. And we've been walking through the book of Psalms and looking at these different Psalms that apply to our life. And we've been looking at them in an unfiltered way. And so today, we're going to come to Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, it's like this wisdom Psalm that teaches us about the importance of passing down the faith that God has given us to the next generation behind us. And, And the big idea that we're going to talk about together on this Father's Day from Psalm 78 is this, that we are called to model how to live for God. Every single one of us, uh, even on this Father's Day, every single one of us, whether you're a father or not, we are called to model with our life, with our action, with the way that we talk, with the way that we live, we are called to model how to live for God. And Psalm 78 is going to kind of walk us through some things that we can learn uh, and some wisdom that we can gain as we seek to, fe- to be men and women who live to honor God. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm 78 with me together today. We're going to stop a couple different times throughout this psalm and we're going to pull out uh, what I hope that God wants for us to, to learn from this. We're going to start in Psalm 78 verse 1. It says this. It says, My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonder he has done. And we're going to stop there. And the first thing I think that we can learn from this is that we're called to model both an attitude and action to those closest to us. All right, every single one of us, we are called to model what it looks like to live for God in both attitude and action. And we're called to start with those closest to us. The, the, the psalm writer says our descendants, the people who are closest to us. You know, it was, it was interesting. A few months ago, I was uh, on this plane ride. I was going out to a conference, and uh, I typically like to try to engage with people around me on the plane. And so I sat down and started talking to this guy right next to me. And, you know, people usually ask me, oh, what are you traveling for or whatever? And it's a really easy, you know, kind of way to, to, to hopefully open up a door for a gospel conversation. And so I said, oh, I'm going to this conference. I, I work for a church and started telling him about what I do. And, uh, and you know, he was, he was one of those guys who I really enjoyed sitting by. We kind of started to have, like, this friendly back and forth. He said, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not really into church. I don't really have any place for it. But I like talking about that stuff. I said, okay, cool. And, uh, and so we start talking a little bit more and he said yeah you know I'm a dad we started talking about our kids and uh, as we're talking about our kids he said I have a a 12 year old and a 9 year old I said I have kids in in that general range as well and then kind of out of nowhere he he said uh, he said yeah it's really interesting my 12 year old total atheist man total atheist, can't stand God. He's kind of just like me. Now, my nine-year-old, he, 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 he really, like, loves God. He's kind of like his mom, you know? And, uh, and, and he goes, man, they just kind of debate back and forth. And he's like, I, I kind of really like that, you know? He's like, I kind of like to watch them debate. And he said this, and maybe you've heard people say something like this before. He said, we don't force anything on our kids. You know, we don't teach them anything about spirituality. We just kind of let them figure it out on their own. We want our kids to make their own decisions and so I don't tell them anything. I just kind of let them figure it out. Maybe you've heard somebody say something like that before. And at first, it kind of almost sounds good a little bit. Yeah, we shouldn't force things on our kids, you know. At first, it almost kind of sounds a little bit sophisticated, you know. But, but here's the reality is that that simply is not the way that God designed a, a mother and a father to raise children, 
the things that we value, we teach our kids. And the things that we don't value, yeah, maybe we leave up to blind random chance for them to figure out. But we are actually always teaching the next generation something. Whether you're a parent or not, even just you being here, you are teaching my kids something by the fact that you're here. You're saying, hey, there's value in coming here. There's value in community. And so even if you don't know my family at all, you're actually teaching them something by being here. And that's what I love about our church is that, that, that so many people learn from each other. And so you are always teaching something to the people in your life. And the things that we really value, we intentionally teach to the next generation, don't we? I mean, can you imagine that, that mindset with, like, math? Hey, you know, uh, I just kind of let my kids figure it out. And, um, you know, whatever decisions they want to make, I make it on their own. If he says, you know, 5 plus 5 is 27, you know, I'm just going to let him kind of figure it out. And we'll see where he goes from there, you know. Imagine that with reading. You know, well, I don't really want to teach my kids reading because I don't want to force my beliefs on how to read the English language on my kid, you know. So I just kind of let him figure it out. No, we don't act like that. The things that we value, like, hey, you got to read so that you can get a job. We teach our kids. We're intentional with them. And the same should be true spiritually. If the gospel is true, if God is real, then part of our role is to model and to instruct both in our attitudes and our actions to those closest to us. And this transcends parenthood, but it specifically applies to parents as well. One of the things I love about our ministry. We're part of, of a bigger network called Collegiate Church Network. And, and from the time I was a student with this church, I, I came here as a student. I didn't think I'd ever be the pastor standing up here teaching at H2O, but that's just the plan that, that God kind of progressively worked us through. But from the time I was a student, our ministry continually said this phrase, that your primary mission field is those who sit around your dinner table with you every night. Your primary mission field as a parent, as the people who sit around your dinner table with you every night. In other words, your kids, your spouse, that's who you need to first and foremost work on living out the gospel with. And then once you do that, you can start affecting other people around you, but your primary mission field is your family. And and, and even a note to fathers on this Father's Day, you know, sometimes as a guy, and, and I can fall into this trap, you know, sometimes as a guy, we think the primary thing that we need to do for our, for our kids is to provide for them. Even a lot of times we think the primary thing we need to do for them is provide for them material, and that is one of our responsibilities. Materially, we need to put a roof over our kids' heads and all those things. But listen, it's not the primary thing that we need to do. College funds, braces, you know, all those different things, they're important. And that's part of our role. But the the number one thing our kids need to see us modeling is a love for God. Because that's eternal. That will outlast the house that you may provide for them. That will outlast their straight teeth that the braces may provide for them. Showing them how to live for God, how to seek him, is the primary way that we need to be a provider for our children, both in action and in attitude. Attitude, what does that look like? Helping those close to us think rightly about things. Helping those close to us think gospel-centered. How do you view a situation? How, whether it's with your roommates, whether it's with your kids, whether it's with people that you work with, those closest to you, how do you help them think rightly, have a gospel-centered attitude towards every situation that God brings into their life? It's so important. And, and as followers of Christ, we have to model that. And then with your actions. Do your actions match your words? Do your actions match your words? 
You know, for, for a dad, one of the quickest ways to, to have your, your kids kind of turn a, away from God is to, to just pretend, isn't it? To, to show up here on Sunday and look a certain way and, and then go home and be a completely different person. You know, a lot of times they say that, that, that pastor's kids kind of go off the deep ends sometimes. You know, maybe you've heard that. That's one of my fears in life. I don't want that to happen for my kids. And they say oftentimes that happens because the pastor is so tempting to come and stand up here and be one person and then go home and be a different person. And that's why typically sometimes our kids go through a period of rebellion. And for all of us, do our actions match our words because we're called to model both in action and in attitude and of course this doesn't mean that we have to be perfect you know sometimes especially as guys you know we can take that burden on and think man I got to be perfect I got to get everything right if I make a mistake I got to just hide it I think that's why sometimes as guys we're so tempted to hide because we have a high bar for ourselves probably higher than you might even know and, and so we're tempted to, to hide those things, but that's not what God wants for us. God doesn't want us to have to act perfect. God wants for us to be real, to be real, to be raw. When we make a mistake, to confess it, to repent from it, to say, God, I, I did make that mistake and, and, and apologize for it and then turn from it. That's what gospel-centered actions and attitudes look like. And that's what God is calling us to here today. So let's jump back in to, to verse 5 here as we're continuing on with Psalm 78. It says this. It says, He decrees statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they would in turn tell their children, and they would put their trust in God. We see this cycle going on and on and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. Yet, they would not be stubborn like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant. They refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. See, the second thing is this. We need to remember often what God has done. We need to remember often what God has done. You know, there's something so powerful about remembering. I was hanging out with a, a friend of mine. He's a supporter of our church here at H2O. He said he just turned 80 years old. I was hanging out with him this last week. I was talking to him, and, uh, and, and as I was talking to him, you know, uh, the subject of, of growing old came up, you know, and he said, I, I don't mind getting old. You know, I don't mind the aches and pains. I don't mind that life is way slower. I don't mind it takes me longer to walk to my car. The thing I cannot stand about getting old is I can't remember people's names as much as I used to. You know, maybe you've been in one of those situations. I can't remember people's names. He's like, I can't remember all the experiences I've had. I'll see somebody. I know I kind of should know them, but I just can't put it all together. It's like that's the only thing that bothers me about getting old. He said the reason why it bothers me is because it keeps me from connecting with them like I want to. You know, it keeps me from connecting with them. And as I was thinking about that, I, I, I thought, you know, it, it's interesting because I think there's something about remembering and connecting that goes hand in hand. And I think this is why God so oftentimes calls us to continually remember what he's done for us. And, you know, just like my friend was having a hard time remembering people's names, so oftentimes we can be like that with God. So oftentimes it, it, it's so tempting to forget the, the wonderful, the beautiful, the awesome things that God has done for us. It's so hard to slow down and take time to just reflect 
and remember how amazing and loving this heavenly father that we have is. And when we forget to do that, we don't connect with God in the way that he wants us to connect with him. One of the most powerful things we can do with God is to stop, to reflect, and to remember, to be thankful, to praise him. You know, so much so that if you look at the Old Testament, God, you know, a lot of times people say like, well, what are all these festivals in the Old Testament about? What are things like Passover about? Why are there, there are all these celebrations and festivals? God specifically gave those so that people would stop and remember what he had done for them because we're so tempted to forget, aren't we? We're so tempted to move on to the next thing. You think about even modern day here at H2O and churches around the world, we do communion often. The reason why we do communion is because it's a, a physical reminder to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And of course we know it academically, but there's something about slowing down and actually remembering it that has power and helps us to connect with God. And yet so oftentimes we don't do those things, do we? I, I was out um, garage sailing with my kids yesterday. We like doing that as a family. And um, I'm usually always like, why are we doing this? Because we're just buying more junk, you know? Like, we, that's the point of a garage sale. People get rid of their junk, and then you take it for them, I guess. I don't know. And so we're at this garage sale, and my son sees this gun. Isaac, he sees this gun. He's like, Dad, can I have the gun? It's 50 cents. Like, I don't want another gun in our house. A toy gun. I don't want another one of those, but, but sure, why not? So picks up the gun and buys it. We go to the next garage sale. He sees a stuffed animal that he wants. He says, Dad, can I buy that stuffed animal? Stuffed animals at a garage sale, that's a little weird in my opinion, you know. Um, guns, okay, but stuffed animals, you know, it's other people's germs and stuff. I'm like, no, I don't want you to buy the stuffed animal. And he's like, Dad, you've never bought me anything at a garage sale. <laughs> you've never bought me anything at a garage sale. That's what he said. I'm like, we Look in the van. You have a gun. I just bought you a gun. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's how we are with God so many times, isn't it? You know? I mean, God could do something so powerful for us, and yet we're so quick to move on. God, where are you? Why don't you ever do anything for me? Oh, yeah, I guess you did. I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> and God calls us to oftentimes slow down to think and remember. And when we do, it makes us thankful. When we do, we connect with our loving Heavenly Father in a way that draws us closer to Him. So as we move on in Psalm 78, it's a really long chapter. We're not going to read the whole thing together. But as, as we move on, uh, this, this next section of, of verses that, that we look at, uh, verses 12 through 33, which we're not going to read, but it's literally just the psalmist doing exactly that. He's recounting all the wonderful, all the powerful things that God had done for his people. He, he tells them that, that, he had, that God led them out of Egypt. The Jewish people were in slavery. God led them out of that. He t- talks about how God parted the Red Sea see so that they could escape. He talks about how God led them with this, this cloud of fire. He talks about how God provided for them in the desert and gave them manna. And, and, and as he's going throughout that, then in verse 34, he comes and he says this. He says, whenever God slew them, they would seek him and they would eagerly turn to him again. And they remembered that God was their rock that God, Most High, was their Redeemer. See, the Israelites had this pattern that I think we probably have pretty often as well. The Israelites would have God do something powerful for them. They would forget. They would rebel. God would do something powerful for them. 
powerful for them, they would forget, they would rebel. And so the psalmist is saying, God hit a certain point where God, it says, slew them. And then they would finally seek him. And, And third is this, that God disciplines those he loves. God disciplines those he loves. Just like a good father disciplines lovingly his children, God disciplines those he loves. You know, on this Father's Day, I want to remind us that God calls himself a good father, not a good grandfather. Okay? Have you ever heard the difference? I know we have some grandparents who are here today. I share the difference because a good father is supposed to instruct and teach and train and love their kids. A good grandfather, a good grandparent, a good grandma, they're just supposed to spoil their kids, right? Like that's the role of a grandparent. If you can, that's what grandparents love to do. Right? I mean, grandparents love to just give you everything in the world. You come over to their house, they, they spoil you, they say yes to everything, and then they hand the kids back to the parents, and the parents have to retrain them. Right? Uh, my, my kids were at my, my parents' house not too long ago, and uh, Sarah and I went out to breakfast. We came back from breakfast, and uh, I, I was like, hey, did you feed the kids breakfast at all? And my dad was like, yeah, yeah, we fed them breakfast. I'm like, oh, that's great. Thanks so much. What'd they eat? He's like, fruit. Well, I mean, fruit snacks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, you go to grandma and grandpa's and you eat fruit snacks for breakfast. You know, that's, that's what grandparents do for you. But, but parents, it's a little bit different, right? It's a little bit different. God doesn't call himself a good grandfather. He calls himself a loving father. You know, as, as a parent, as a mom or a dad, there's times where you have to say no to your kids if you want to truly be loving to them. We all know that, Right? It's not mean-spirited. It's not mean-hearted. In fact, it would actually be mean, whether we feel that way or not, to say yes to everything. That wouldn't set them up and instruct them and train them. As a dad, there's times where I have to say no to my kids about what they want to eat sometimes. As a dad, I have to say no to my kids about a certain toy that they want to buy. As a dad, I have to say no about certain activities that they may want to do at certain times. That's just part of it. It doesn't mean we don't love them. And if you're a, a true child of God here today. If you're somebody who is following Jesus, there will be times where God says no in your life. There will be times where there's something that you think that you should have or get or get to experience and God will not give that to you. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it'll happen for you. Don't take that as a sign that God doesn't love you, but receive that, that discipline, if we will, with love, knowing that we can trust him. And so if you're here and you're in a a season where God may be saying no to something in your life, maybe you're here and and you're single and you just don't want to be and it's so extremely hard for you right now and it just doesn't seem like God's providing that person, I, I want to encourage you to trust him in this season that he's saying no because he's a loving father. If you're here and you don't have that dream job, or maybe you don't even have that job at all that you want, and, and you've been trying, and you're saying, God, you know, I, I'm just not happy where I am. I just want something different, but it seems like the answer is no. I want to encourage you to, to trust him in this moment. And if you're here and you're going through a trial or, or a struggle or some type of, of pain, I want to encourage you that you can trust God. Because he is the perfect, loving father who knows way more than we could ever know, 
who understands way more than we could understand. And yes, he doesn't say yes to everything we ever want, but he loves us and he cares for us and he's shaping and molding us, his children, into the people that he wants us to be. And sometimes that means saying no. And then we have to choose. How are we going to respond? Are we going to kind of be like a a spoiled child and and, and throw a a fit? Are we going to say, God, may not like it, may not enjoy it, but but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you and you alone are that loving Father. And that brings us to to fourth and our final point on this Father. Say that God is the perfect loving Father. And that's why I started off this message saying, no matter where you are here in this room today, no matter what your experience with your earthly father may be like, I want you to leave here today with some hope. With some hope that you have a heavenly father that loves you more than you could ever imagine. That cares for you more than you could ever wrap your mind around. Romans 8, 14 through 16, it says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This sets Christianity apart from any other religion. We're called a child of the God Most High who created everything. We're not his slaves. We're not his servants. We are that, but we're more than that. We're his children. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. God adopted us into his family when you placed your faith and trust in him. And it says, we cry, Abba, Father. Daddy is the translation of that Latin word, Aramaic word, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so as we wrap up here today on this Father's Day, I'm not sure what type of emotions you have. Maybe you're a dad here, and maybe you just kind of grasp a little bit more that privilege that responsibility that comes from pointing your children towards Jesus. I want you to be encouraged and to know that you yourself have a heavenly father that you can look to who set the perfect example for you as to how to love your kids. And when you fail, when you make a mistake like I do oftentimes and like I know all of us do, we can turn to him for strength and guidance and direction. Maybe you're here, and, and, and as you're listening to this message, you're one of those people who, who, who's kind of had that situation where you came here with a mixed set of emotions, not exactly sure how to feel about Father's Day. I want you to know that no matter what that situation with your earthly father is like, you can grasp the love and the depth that God has for you, and that will sustain you. That will help you to model and to live out the life that God wants you to live. And and maybe some of us are here today and we haven't made that decision to be adopted into God's family. Maybe we're here and and we've been kind of keeping God a little bit at arm's length for whatever reason we find ourselves in here today. And, And maybe as you hear the words of this psalm, you hear the, the words of this, this chapter in Romans, you say, God, I want to just finally say, yes, I'm ready to be your child. I'm ready to come into your family. I'm ready to accept you. I'm ready to live like one of your children. And if that's you here today, we want to celebrate with you. We want to give you a chance to, to enjoy that relationship that God wants with you. I'm going to be in the back. I'd love to talk with you if you're in a spot where you want to talk about anything that you heard here today. But with that being said, let's just take a moment and pray and reflect on the loving, perfect God that we have together today.